Welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast that dissects Who Framed Roger Rabbit one minute at a time with special guest Gary K. Wolf. All right, we are back. We're here for minute five of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit's. Annie and I are here again. Welcome, welcome. And we are joined once again by Roger Rabbit's father, Gary K. Wolf. <laughs> Minute five begins with Baby Herman landing softly on Roger and mm-hmm. ends with Roger apologizing to Raul. So a lot happens within this. Raul, Raul. <laughs> yeah. Raul, Raul. Yeah. So this minute, this minute performs another very essential uh, function. This all of a sudden, takes you out of the realm of cartoon and into someplace where we've never been before. I mean, all of a sudden you have cartoons interacting with human beings. And this is the premise of the movie. And, and this is the first time we see this. And it's, it's pretty stunning when you see it. Um, if you don't know what's coming, it's really kind of stunning. So uh, at the beginning of the scene, uh, Roger is still kind of under the fridge mm-hmm. uh, and baby Herman has landed safely on his belly gross a cookie in hand squeak. yeah <laughs> that makes sense that he would have a squeaker yeah um, uh, he has his gross cookie and he's happy as a clam uh, then Roger lifts up the refrigerator to make sure baby Herman's okay so Perhaps. happy that like things are gonna go well for him finally yeah, that he's not going to have to go back to the science lab. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be a big relief for yeah. him, I think, uh, given the trauma he's been through over the past couple of minutes. Um, and then he reaches out to grab baby Herman and the fridge falls right back down on right. his head. Classic cartoon move of forgetting that you are holding something very heavy above your head. <laughs> classic, classic with your spindly tiny rabbit arms. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Surprisingly strong spindly rabbit arms. So immediately after this, things start to change. And this is like, you know, it's definitely one of those things that the first time, first 10 times I saw this movie, I didn't pay super close attention to, but now that we're really like looking at it in detail, it was just so fascinating and impressive to me. I am in love with this transition. It's so incredible. The whole like kind of going into the refrigerator and opening and all of a sudden we're in the real world. Yeah. So like, uh, for those of you listening at home, I hope you've seen this movie. Otherwise it's going to make no sense, but, uh, essentially we sort of zoom into the cartoon fridge. And as we zoom out it, uh, they do an amazing visual job of blurring between like cartoon world and the real world. Um, you know, they have, all of a sudden switched most of the items into the room to being real, but they're still in this sort of cartoony claymation style. Um, yes. And I, I really wonder about that. Like what, what's the decision behind what objects they chose to actually have be animated objects and what objects they're, I guess, shooting real for animated and why not just use cartoon objects for like the food in the refrigerator too? 
I don't know. I think it might be because like tunes are alive, like tunes are real and these are props because like, think about like later there's a shoe, right. And it's got mm-hmm. a personality cars are sentient. Like it seems to me. And you know, again, I'm, I'm on minute uh, five here for of recent watching. I haven't watched it in its entirety in quite a while. Um, but I don't know if there's instances of tune things that aren't like sentient and maybe they're in a union. Maybe they have to be paid. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe they have demands. Maybe they need uh, craft services. I'm not sure. <laughs> it might be cheaper. Yeah, you know, that, that's a good point. But I, I then wonder if that entire room, because the room behind them still looks very animated. And is that room alive? I don't know. It's, this is, this is like, this to me is the beauty of this scene, this little, you know, 20 second bridge between the tune world and the cartoon that we think we're in. And this idea of Hollywood shooting cartoons as if they're live action movies. Um, There are so many things I've, I've watched it a bunch of times and I'm watching on a small screen. So maybe somebody maybe somebody can tell better than I can but um it's really difficult to tell even which things are animated or drawn and which things are uh made as like a 3d prop that um is just fashioned in a way to look animated yeah and you know they might if they're all sentient too they might have the problem of like oh god the turkey leg is talking again in this scene (laughs) (laughs) yeah god damn it the ham blinked (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By the way, can we talk about the food that's in Miss Herman's refrigerator? Yeah, it's not normal. I mean, did we expect it to be? The woman has hot sauce, pickles, ginger snaps, and she just is, she's... Unwrapped bread. <laughs> Unwrapped bread. There's a big wedge of cheese that was apparently just like sitting on a shelf. Yeah, ham, not in any sort of container or wrapping no. either, just sitting on the refrigerator on the bottom too not even on a shelf or in a drawer just on the bottom of the fridge I mean maybe it was on a shelf before Robert Roger uh, busted his head through um there's a, a an a rogue turkey leg like you said maybe it's chicken I don't know uh yeah. it's definitely definitely yeah, it's from a normal. bird and definitely <laughs> definitely nothing protecting it from any outside elements yeah in this in this scene in the background too uh, you will notice a cameo from uh, our friend, the stack of sliced bread. It is now on the floor. Um, it's very weird. Oh, is the stacked bread it look like it's a, a real item now? Did it transfer it, over? I, it's so hard to tell. I can't tell. I think it does. It, it definitely looks more realistic than it did as a cartoon. Um, but again, like I said, that's to me, the genius of this scene is that it's really hard to differentiate between what they've made into an actual prop and what is just like animated in maybe a more realistic way. Right. The Suxalux is definitely a real object now. Yeah. It's the it's... fridge. Yeah. The Suxalux. Um, um, I can't tell the cookie jar looks animated still. Yeah. Although the cookies look like they could be uh, real cookies now. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's an in- interesting choice. Um, yeah. uh, so we hear cut, cut, cut. We finally get to meet somebody we've only heard about, uh, the infamous Raul J. Raul. Raul Raul, the, the actor who plays him, is a guy named Joel Silver. Joel Silver is a producer, very famous producer. 
he produced uh, all the Die Hard movies, all the Lethal Weapon movies, uh, just about any uh, over-the-top action-adventure movie that you've seen in your life was produced by Joel Silver. Michael Eisner hated Joel Silver. And Joel oh, really? Silver hated Michael Eisner. <laughs> it was like this. They hated each other. And so the guys on the movie thought it would be a hoot to guess Joel Silver in this movie as Raul Raul. And so that's how, that's how he got cast as Raul Raul. And I don't know when Michael Eisner found out about it. I I I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know if you watched Daily, I don't know. But for sure, he must have seen it at the at the premiere, and uh, <laughs> blew a gasket. But when, you know, when the movie that year made, uh, I think that year it made seven hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, I think he forgave uh, the guys for uh, casting Joel Silver as a pro. Uh, Chris, you always have like the well-informed facts and I have the uh, casual observations of an idiot. And uh, oh, beautiful this observations. man's outfit, it's so weird. He mm. has a Western shirt. It's silk. Like I can tell it's definitely silk um, with some Western embroidery on it. He's wearing an ascot with that which makes no sense as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he has pants that are somewhat normal for the time period and the whole vibe he's going for. And then he has shoes that have like, I assume they're studs all over them. It's like a loafer that have metallic studs all over them. He is, he is dressed in a way that is very flamboyant and odd. Do you think this was a uh, decision by the costume department on Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Or do you think this is just how Joel Silver rolls on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> yeah, I think he just came from home in his normal clothes. This is just what he wears. I actually, I'm not, you know, I, I watch it, I take notes, right? But I don't do a whole lot of research on it beforehand because I like to learn your facts. And I tried to make some sense of this because they do they they do pay such close attention to details there has to be a reason why he's wearing this outfit um i can't figure that out like it it doesn't seem it it's very like mixed genre as far as i can tell um and i looked for like you know sort of archetypes of 1940s directors and i didn't find anybody who was dressed like some kind of weird Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Elvis Presley mashup. Yeah, it's this might just be a comment on what a director of a cartoon is like in this world. Because <laughs> we learned from Guillermo uh, last week what a uh, what a cart- uh, animated director does in the real world, but this is an entirely different sort of thing. This guy works with tunes all day. Um, very in a very frustrated way. He just has no more patience for them. Um, you know, that makes sense. Maybe he's just trying to stand out in a, you know, as sort of a banal human in a world where he is dealing with these people who are like infinitely more uh, interesting characters than he'll ever be. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's really got to step it up. And I mean, as we're going to see, RK Maroon is a weird dude. So I could really see him being like, I like this guy's style. I like the cut of your gym. <laughs> we get uh, baby Herman now talking in his real voice. His face just completely changes from cute baby to um, old man on a baby's body face. Oh, grizzled, 
it's got very like um kind of Andy Rooney vibes <laughs> happening. Yeah. The interesting things on this, uh, when Raul Raul grabs the bird and takes the bird and just kind of whacks the bird down on the down on the floor, the bird kind of walks away. I mean, it, it shows you that uh, tunes are kind of indestructible, but also that humans don't have a whole lot of regard for tunes. Yeah. You know, to take a bird like it, it it gets reflected later in the infamous red shoe scene when uh, Judge Doom uh, has it on with the red shoe that uh, humans don't really have a lot of respect or regard for, for tunes. It is kind of cute that Roger says, uh, when asked what that is, he says, a tweeting bird. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's like a subtle reference to Tweety Bird? Yeah, that, that might be. Um, Since we know there's some little, uh, you know, Easter eggy jokes about both Warner Brothers and um, Disney. Yeah, yeah. Even though this looks much more like a Disney sort of bird, these seems like the type of birds that would hang out with Snow White. It's Snow White, uh, Cinderella. They're very mm -hmm. enchanted forest vibe birds for sure. And what does it matter that Roger does not see stars? That he sees like like the birds instead? Is Raul this big of a stickler for the script that he can't? I mean, we know that he makes very like specific choices from his shirt and his shoes we we know that about Robert. he's fastidious like this he, he didn't throw this ensemble together you don't accidentally tie an ascot <laughs> he's just very much a perfectionist he's very much like a kubrick where like everything has to be exactly the way that that he envisions it i did i thought the same thing i was like what I feel like it makes literally no difference to anyone watching whether or not it's little birds or stars but yeah. But this is a huge sticking point for them. They're, you know, it's apparently uh, been a major issue throughout multiple takes of the scene, according to the reaction. And my thought is this is like, you know, uh, the director is talking to Roger. He's really upset. And baby Herman is doing something very weird with this face the whole time this is happening. And I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, I don't either. It almost like, like, I remember watching this uh, for the first times that I watched this. And even now, I'm like, when um, when Raul is talking, uh, Baby Herman is moving his mouth. And I almost think, wait, is Baby Herman saying that? No, no, he's not. I don't know why he is. It, it kind of looks like he's like mocking him, except that the mouth doesn't really like sync up. And I, yeah, I can't figure this out. Yeah, it's it's really it's really weird. Okay, so we find out like director and baby Herman are both super mad that super this mad. has not gone well. Uh, one of them says it's been like 23 takes. Apparently, to me, feels like they should just maybe change it to stars or birds from mm -hmm. stars. Uh, that feels like the right choice, but uh, maybe that's out of the question. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it comes back later. Maybe they're like, we don't get to see the end of the cartoon. Maybe it's very important to the plot that they're stars. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, and then uh, Baby Herman uh, storms off. This is the first instance in the movie where there is a gag in the margin. And um, if you go through and watch it frame by frame, I'll, well, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you where to go, okay? Um, and remember, now remember that six frames are invisible to the, to the naked eye. You cannot see them. 
So the, the frames that you want to look at, you want to look at the scene frame by frame where baby Herman walks underneath the script girl's dress. Okay. Yep, okay. Right here. Keep going. Now go frame by frame if you can. I mean, first of all, you can see that that's, that's pretty good animation. The other thing is, this was the first cartoon that actually had uh, shadowing, lights and shadowing. All right, keep going. I hope you guys think it's worth it. When we find <laughs> All right, here we go. Getting close. I love it. I oh, love yes. the inside info. Yeah. Now look. I mean, look at his mouth. I mean, he's he's unhappy. All and right, here he's coming to the script girl. He's looking at the script girl. His hand goes under her dress. This is so me too. I'm gonna tell you. His Very hand nice goes. Too. His hand actually goes up her dress. He starts to smile. He starts oh, to clear. Wow. He starts to drool. For sake. And he gets a little out. devil teeth. Like he looks like a little demon. But you know, if uh, uh, I recommend for people uh, listening to this at home, uh, go through Baby Herman walking under the woman's skirt frame by frame, and uh, you will see quite a uh, quite a look on his face. <laughs> quite quite a look, and it is um, it's weirdly spot on for yeah. just like a creepy old man. He looks like a little demon, and he goes, "Ooh, <laughs> that's six frames." Invisible to the naked eye, uh, the first gag in the margin in the movie. Yeah, that's great. I would have never noticed that before. It just happened so fast. Oh, by the way, in the prior minutes, we've seen 360 views of this kitchen. Right? We've got to see it on every possible angle as Roger has spun around multiple times. But here, we see that half of this kitchen is actually a film set. So I, I'm very curious of what was going on and how they created the illusion that this, this kitchen goes all the way around. I don't know, I think maybe you're right in your uh, previous theory that the kitchen itself is a tune and it potentially has the same level of flexibility that Roger does. Hmm. Right, so when Raul says cut, the kitchen just kind of goes back into its uh, half-formed set state. It just opens it be its belly for everyone to see. <laughs> well, that I would love to see. I hope the sequel of Roger Rabbit, we, we dive into this kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it ends just with uh, Roger starting to apologize to Raul. Uh, Raul's very mean <laughs> to, to Roger Rabbit. Very mean. Uh, which is a theme here because also baby Herman is mean. Uh, Mrs. Herman was mean. We thought that was maybe part of an act or the, the premise of the cartoon, but it feels like everybody's just actually mean. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I kind of understand it because I, I forgot how many takes they said they've done. Uh, 23. 23 takes. That That is a long, especially if they're having to do this as a every time. I mean, I guess they're apparently starting from the beginning of the cartoon again, every time Roger messes up. So from the title card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah from the title card. Uh, so I, I understand why, why they would be very mad at Roger at this point. Do you have an MVP for, for this minute? Yeah. So I, you know, normally sometimes my MVPs are kind of funny, but in all seriousness to me, like the MVP here is, is the claymation style props, because mm -hmm. like that is really just um, such an elegant transition between uh, the tune world and the live action nature of how tunes exist in this universe. Yeah. So that is my MVP. 
is claymation I, food. I'll agree <laughs> with that. I think it's easy to miss like watching the movie if you're not watching it very carefully too. Yeah. It's easy to gloss over. Yeah, it's definitely, it's only coming up. It's only making the list in the, uh, if we're doing a minute by minute MVPs, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> not, it's, not like, it's not in casual conversation where people are like, oh yeah, I like that movie. I'm like, you know what my favorite is? <laughs> claymation yeah. ham you're a hardcore roger rabbit fan if that's, if that's <laughs> i mean at it. this point i am yeah i'm pretty committed <laughs> yeah we are already um probably hours in of talking about roger rabbit and we are in minute five right now and those minutes included the title screens <laughs> <laughs> yes All right, well, that's the end of the minute, but not the end of the show because it's time for the segment where I ask a question and you can give me the answer. It's time for Hypothetical Thursday. Hypothetical Thursday, join in on the fun. Every Thursday, I post the question in our Facebook group and members there can answer it. We'll read some of our favorites next week on the podcast. If you want to become part of that, our group is Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit Listeners? So last week I asked the question, what existing movie would be better if it added tunes to the cast? Sean said Reservoir Dogs, which I think would be uh, so much more disturbing than Stuck in the Middle with You part with Bugs Bunny. Michael said Hair and Loathing in Las Vegas. David said Oscar starring Sylvester Stallone. I would really love to see Stallone acting with tunes. And again, Michael said Super Mario Brothers. We already know Hoskins can act with cartoon characters. Let's keep having him do it. Mona Lisa, let's get some tunes up in there. You want me to answer that? <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear your answer <laughs> yeah. to that. Well, uh, it's not just if I could see tunes in any other movie. I think I would like to see tunes in every other movie. Uh, I don't think there should be a movie made without tunes. I think there should be a clause in every contract in Hollywood that uh, you have to include at least one tune. It should be required. Uh, I mean, I'm getting so tired of watching movies where everything blows up. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think, oh, geez, I need a little change of pace. Uh, if only a tune would come in and, uh, you know, do something. My question for this week. So in the, in this week sequel to the book, we actually get Roger uh, is considered for the Clark Gable role in um, of Red Butler in Gone with you, the Wind. You've read the book. Oh, I've read the books. I've read all three of them. Like, like, like you're one of my five readers. You <laughs> my mother and my three aunts. You know? Oh, we have conversations about the book all the time. I, they're, they're <laughs> so, okay, go ahead. So um, if. You, so since in this, Roger is, is an actual actor, um, let's say Roger was a real actor in the time. If you could replace one actor from our history with Roger Rabbit and Roger Rabbit would play all of that actor's roles. Um, I did, I guessed the question inadvertently. Yeah, that was, <laughs> okay. that was, really that was weird, on. okay. <laughs> well, well um, I guess that's a, that's a really good question. I guess that I would, probably have to see him as uh he's an actor so he wouldn't necessarily play a comic role because he's he's an actor 
Uh, so I would guess that he would replace one of my favorites, which would be John Wayne. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love to see uh, Roger on a horse uh, uh, in uh, in Red River. I mean, I think that'd be a hoot. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see him act with Dean Martin and and Ricky Nelson and Rio Bravo. I think uh, Roger could really add something to that. I, uh, Playing kind I of the anti-hero in uh, The Searchers, that would be great. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I, so I guess I would I would replace John Wayne because I mean Roger is my favorite tune actor and John Wayne is my favorite uh, kind of Western adventure hero. Yeah, All right. good Great. question. Okay, uh, you have any thoughts? Any are you going with Chris Pratt? Uh, I mean, I it feels remiss to change it now. I feel like <laughs> I have said that, and you know, I'm thinking about it, and I don't think there is a role that wouldn't be better. <laughs> with with Roger as and I'm a big fan of I love like I love comic book movies I love all the Marvel stuff like you know Guardians of the Galaxy is a great film I think Roger can pull it off and Parks and Rec would be absolutely yes Parks I mean oh yeah I would really I would love to see uh him play Andy from Parks and Rec absolutely <laughs> So I, I think I'm going to go with Marlon Brando. Um, oh, good choice. Good yeah, choice. I, I would love to see Vito Corleone uh, played by Roger Rabbit. I think that would be great. See, that's yeah. that's the easy, that's the low-hanging Marlon Brando yeah. fruit. I want to see The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, oh that, that would be too good. Street, streetcar Named Desire. Oh, yes. Also, there's a scene in Raging Bull where um, Robert De Niro does does basically an impression of him uh, from on the waterfront. Um, And Roger Ebert has always said like, well, that's actually several layers because it's Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta playing Marlon Brando, playing Terry Malloy. But in this case, it would be uh, Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta, <laughs> playing Charles Fleischer, playing Roger Rabbit, playing uh, Terry Malloy, which I would love so much. Mind boggles, mind boggles. <laughs> All right, well, before we go, do you have anything to plug, Gary? Yeah, well, uh, if, if people want to go to my website, www.garywolf.com, First of all, you can buy my books there, which I, I highly recommend. They've all just come out in uh, in audio in audiobook version, which is a great uh, a great leap forward because whenever somebody bought an audio version before, I would just call them up and read them the book over the phone, and so this saves me a <laughs> lot of time. Uh, but if you go there and uh, email me. Uh, and tell me you want to see the gags in the margins. I'll send you a list of all the gags in the margins in the movie. There are there are pages of them, and uh, there are multiple pages of them in the three cartoons. I want to thank Gary K. Wolf for being here. Check out all of his books, including the sequels to this movie. If you want to know what happens to the characters afterwards, check out Who Plugged Roger Rabbit and Who Whacked Roger Rabbit. And his new book, Serious Business with Jessica Rabbit is now out. Go to GaryWolf.com for that. We're a Dueling Genre podcast. There's many more Movies by Minutes ones and all sorts of other podcasts on DuelingGenre.com and you can click on the link to support. Thank you for listening and we will be back on Friday for Minute 6 of Who 
analyzed Roger Rabbit's.